This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Ollie Tikkanen. Welcome, everyone. We are going to have a very interesting episode as we are talking about physical activity among individuals with autism. Our today's guest has done his master's degree in physical education and PhD in rehabilitation sciences in University of Toronto. Currently, he is working as a postdoctoral fellow at the Center of Addiction and Mental Health. Ladies and gentlemen, Please welcome our guest, Dr. Patrick Chakura. So, so basically, you were surprised how well the online course worked. What what did you learn from from the course that other people could could use? I think one of the biggest learnings um, definitely was focusing on the strengths of the individuals and not their weaknesses. So. Again, like we were trained initially during my PhD to focus on the impairments associated with autism or, or associated with um, Down syndrome or or any disability. And we often focus on fixing these impairments. And that's the dominant kind of paradigm that we work in was to try and fix these impairments which come from medicine. Um, what I've tried to do in my own kind of work and question my own work and why I do things the way I do it um, to focus on the strengths. And in this Fit Friday activity that we did, I really tried to focus on their strengths. So if their strength was doing, for example, fitness work, I would really encourage them both online and offline to to work on those fitness-related goals rather than necessarily doing um, sort of more group-based activities. Um, we often, again, focus on trying to fix the problem without necessarily focusing on building people up. And I think in medicine, especially given that this is where it comes from, uh, we should focus on the individual and what they can do rather than what they can't do. So that was a really a learning for me, which again, it took this many years of, of my own work, about 10 years of research and practicing in the field to, to try and figure that out. And it's like, okay, I don't have to fix everyone. My goal is actually to give them a meaning, a purpose, provide them some kind of emotional pleasures um, of movement. So if they're drawn to this emotionally, they're probably more likely to do it again because when I talk to them, okay, well, why aren't you active? It's like, well, I hate it. I had horrible experiences in school. I don't want to be sweaty with other sweaty guys. And to be able to take that data, integrate it, and focus on, okay, then how can I make this better for the families and the individuals? And that's where I really came to to learn from my own learning and making it fun. And sometimes I think, what happens in the research world, we're so focused on publishing and getting grants and and absolutely just trying to move research forward. But for me, what I learned is I relish and, and live for these kind of participant interactions. And in mm-hmm. fact, all these interactions with people actually inform my work in so many different ways. And I would argue that you can't have good research without actually being able to do it on the ground with, with people. And, and it's not that they're my test subjects or I was figuring it out, but what it really helped to do was help me think about my own research. Why am I doing it the way I'm doing it? And how can I do it better? And so one of the things that I really learned from um, these activities is 
really focusing on co-producing and working together um, with the population rather than being top down, right? I'm the expert, you're not. It's it's really kind of almost getting rid of that power struggle and working together. So, okay, this is what you're interested in. Let's figure out how it, how it works together and, and meeting with people. And yes, it's more time consuming, um, but to me, it's been eye-opening to see kind of the reaction and the buy-in. Um, people are more likely to buy in and, and participate than I think if you just kind of are the coach giving orders all the time. And again, that's that's the history of PE and that's the history of physical activity, right? It's kind of very top-down heavy. Uh, but mm. slowly, slowly, I think there's some movement um, to move away from all these t- pedagogies. I think that pedagogy has a time and a place for it, but not necessarily for everyone all the time. So that's been one of my major takeaways is questioning, how do I know? What do I know about knowing? Um, but also mm. then figuring out what can I do as a researcher, as you know, a potential educator on how to engage this population, doing more than just writing papers. Because again, those are important and we need them in our careers. Um, but to actually implement change, this was to me the fastest way I was able to do it, both in person and online. Hmm. So basically focusing on strength, strengths, not weaknesses, co-producing, not top-down down methodology, and then creating emotional positive experience for the people that they actually enjoy doing the things. Was that right? Yeah, absolutely. And again, the emotional piece to me, like I was almost naive to think that that is not important. And, you know, I had participants talk to me about the joy of movement. And I said, what do you mean by the joy of movement? It's like, I just love moving my body. Like I feel better when I move my body. I said, okay. Um, or we had one person talk about, you know, the feeling of, of water running against his body when he went swimming. And I said, like, why is that important? He's like, because it's that, that feeling that I can't get anywhere else in my life. Um, there's another participant that I that I talked to who I tried to understand, you know, why do they kept coming back? And he said, well, because it lets me just break free from everyday life of being so structured, so much routine. And in a way, this part, this population really thrives on routine, but almost from the time they wake up to the time they go to bed, especially if they're going to school or therapy, like they're every single minute of the day is programmed and they have no sometimes free time on their own. And this person said, you know, this is the time for me to break free and I can just do what I wanted to do without what other people want to think about. And again, like, I know this is a whole body of literature on emotions and physical activity now. I know Ava Pila from Canada is doing that work and Patty, uh, I, I always forget his last name, but he's in the US doing this all this work on emotion. Um, but again, I think that's one of the pieces we've forgotten in physical activity is, is the emotional components um, that bring people together to do to be active. It's not just because... You know, it's good for you and it's good for our health. And we've done a really good job promoting those aspects. But if, I think if we promote the pleasures of movement, promote the emotional benefits, I mean, that might be another way we can promote activity that which, in my opinion, we haven't done um, so much of recently. Mm. And and do you think it's different, the enjoyment of activities? You said that they, they might not like sweating or some sensory feelings, but then you had people telling that, they like the feeling of water. Do you think there's a difference between what kind of things individuals with autism are actually finding pleasurable? Yeah, and so, and that's, I think, one of the challenges both for research and for kind of physical activity in general is that it's autism is just so wide ranging, right? What works for one person might not work for another. What bothers one person might not bother the other, um, especially like the the sweat example I had one participant <laughs> tell me before is like, I hate the feeling of sweat on my body. I said, man, I don't know what to do because 
generally I think of physical activity being being sweaty. Um, but then, you know, we, we came together and this wasn't powered fit Friday, but this was part of something else. I said, why don't you try Tai Chi? Like that's not as sweaty. And to him, Tai Chi was his kind of outlet and let him de-stress. And it was a way for him to work on his breathing to calm down. And again, I think the more we can individualize um, activities to certain people, especially who need the benefit of having individual sort of activities given to them, then that would be um, the right way to approach it, in my opinion. For most sedentary behavior and physical activity researchers, collecting the research data is one of the most frustrating steps of a project. This is why we devised a revolutionary new way to collect data, introducing Fibian Sense Motion, the beginning of a new era. Fibian Sense Motion is a cutting-edge next-generation system that allows you to easily and remotely collect, store, and manage data. Our solution features a tiny, waterproof device that captures the sedentary behavior and physical activity data, a mobile app for automatic uploading of the data from the device, and a cloud service for managing the data. Even better, all collected data is GDPR compliant, and you have access to automatically analyzed variables of activity types and raw three-axis accelerometer data. Discover the convenience and power behind our solution at sense.fibian.com. That is S-E-N-S dot Fibian, created by researchers for researchers. Mm. And and I was just interested what kind of research methods you are you are utilizing in your your studies. Uh, so right now we're doing a few different things, um, a lot of different studies pre and post COVID. So I guess again that's uh, one of those funny COVID questions. Um, so before COVID, what I was looking at was again the suicide piece and and trying to understand why people with autism are dying by suicide and think about suicide more often than people who don't have autism. Um, one of the key things that I've come across is that uh, these individuals are having a hard time not only in their day-to-day lives but are also less active and so I was trying to figure out okay what are the connections between activity and and suicide and so far we haven't gotten there but that's part of my postdoctoral work. Um, the second piece during the COVID pandemic that has come up is I'm trying to understand, can we use physical activity as a coping tool um, for people with autism? No one's really been talking about that, especially in the pandemic. It hasn't been really talked about. And so some of the work that we so far have done is are, had some kind of small scale surveys gone out to our participants who did Fit Friday. And we're also working with um, the population who comes to our hospital, just sending out um, more so first initially self-report data. And then my goal will be to try and build on that self-report data to dr- try and maybe do some more standardized measurement kind of before and after um, benefits, right? Whether what it's kind of physiological benefits, such as, you know, decreases in in, in heart rate, or if we have sometimes decreases in stress. Um, and so that's my long-term goal um, with this work, is to try and understand what the impact of physical activity is on the mental health of this population, because that's sort of been lacking to date. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And and you also had some tips and tricks to be physically active for individuals with different neurodevelopmental disorders. Would you like to tell more about those? Yeah, absolutely. And and these were kind of developed um, as we did the Fit Fridays um, as we went along. And and a few things that we've already talked about was really focusing on the strengths and not the weaknesses, focus on the individual, not the impairment, right? So if we can look at what they can do rather what they can't do, that is uh, a big thing. The other thing that we found was generally people who were active um, were also active as a family. So those who were more active had active families. Those who were less active had less active families. So obviously the pandemic throws a whole different equation into the model. Uh, but what we notice is that families who are doing activity together are more likely to be active in general. So one of our recommendations was for families to try and do something every single day if possible, whether it's a group activity, whether it's an individual activity, if it's before dinner, after dinner, you know, even that family time, um, if it's possible, um, that was one recommendation that we had was for them to engage together. Um, that way we know that everyone's getting kind of the benefit of being active and especially for our population. Um, specifically to people with neurodevelopmental disorders, so, such as autism, such as Down syndrome, such as OCD, for example, um, structure and routine are important. And if we can provide some structure and routine, like we tried to do with Fit Friday, every Friday at 2 p.m., so that they give it something to, to look forward to, but also give them a highlight in their week and in their calendar, that was big. And what we tried to do is to advocate to our participants who, who came, you know, even when they weren't doing our group during the other days to say, okay, well, pick a day or two in the week and put it into your calendar and say, let's say Monday at 10 a.m., this is what I'm going to do. And at Thursday at 2 p.m., this is what I'm going to do. And trying to make it more predictable, uh, which is really important in this population. So they know what to expect. They know what's coming was a huge benefit that we saw was providing kind of structure and routine. Um, the other two things that we found that were really helpful, and again, like I, before the pandemic and before do, doing it all online, I didn't really think about, but it was really trying to incorporate being active throughout the day. So oftentimes I think we get stuck on in the field with, okay, when they need, let's say 60 minutes of physical activity a day to reach the optimal benefits. And we often assume that they have to be done all at once, right? Mm. Yeah. So we need an hour at a time to to get these benefits. But what I was finding, especially during this lockdown and quarantine, was actually, I mean, would it be better or, or is there a difference if they just did it a few times during the day? So I said, you know, if you can do 10 minutes throughout your day times six, you get 60 minutes, you know, do it that way so it adds up. And participants said, you know, it was way more manageable to dedicate 10 minutes or 15 minutes at a time than doing all at once because at least for this population, an hour seemed like it was a big commitment. It was someone, okay, I don't want to do it. It's a whole hour. It sucks. It's going to be suffering for an hour. But when we broke mm -hmm. it up, when we broke it up to 15 minutes, 20 minutes, you know, whatever you get, whatever you want to do to, to get 60, uh, the difference was huge. Just people were way more enthusiastic about doing it. And one of the things that we talked about was, you know, just break it up. If you wake up, do 20 minutes. You're after your lunch, do 20 minutes. And after dinner, do 20 minutes. Boom, you've hit 60. And again, such a small modification to to our participation, to our participants paid off huge. And to, to get that feedback, it was like, man, like, how did we not think about this before? Like, it just so, it almost seems too common sense that we didn't think about this. Um, so that worked really well. And that's another kind of tip and trick that we, we want to share. 
And the other thing was what we call kind of exercise snacks um, and doing activity after sitting for a while. So whether you're sitting at a desk or you're watching TV or doing something inactive, you know, it was funny. We just kind of made this into a, a competition and we had participants just kind of film a video of themselves initially uh, just to fool around and have some fun where it's like, okay, after you play board games, get up, do five squats and just videotape yourself and have some fun while you're doing it. And, you know, we had participants doing some exercises before they went to the washroom, before they went to bed. And again, these, what we call snacks to try and just put that into their day to say, okay, well, after doing something for so long, I should get some physical activity in there. And I think for me, it's again, to move away from this idea that we have to do it in this big chunk of time and we need a huge commitment to it. Um, but again, if we can break it up during the day and provide these little snacks um, for, for this population with this particular group, uh, it, it had a huge payoff. Mm, yeah, really good tips and tricks. And I think that works. Those same things work for, I, I think, anyone. So really good points. So you, you are doing important and really relevant work. What kind of collaborators could take your work to the next level? Yeah, I always think about this because, again, I'm not traditional in any way. So I work with mainly psychologists and psychiatrists. And again, physical activity in my world is like rarely talked about and it's not really ever talked about even as a therapeutic kind of approach or a type of medicine which has been talked about. Uh, what I've tried to do is to think about working with the a whole person, right? We're trying to develop the whole person emotionally, psychologically, physically. And, you know, it's almost like going back to challenging the idea that the body and mind are separated from many, many years ago from Descartes. Uh, but from, collab from a collaboration standpoint, I think the more we can work together across fields, I think the better. So I'm currently working with a neurologist. Uh, she's an autism neurologist. She does brain scans. And the stuff that I've learned in terms of neural activation of brain scans of people with autism and how then that I can potentially apply that to physical activity has been night and day. And I would have never thought I'd be working with a neurologist. I think there's a lot more room to work with people who work in physical therapy or physiotherapy, depending on where you are in the world, um, in terms of calling it for what it is. Uh, but I think physiotherapists are this really valuable tool who have knowledge of fundamental movement skills, who are able to break down activities like we just talked about in terms of tips and tricks, um, but aren't really trained, at least in Canada, about autism very well. And mm -hmm. so what I think is a missing opportunity is, okay, like physiotherapists see people for all different types of things. You know, why aren't they potentially working with um, people with autism if we want to improve movement? And again, at least in Canada, the Canadian Physiotherapy Association, their, their mission statements to promote physical activity for all people. So it's like, okay, well, if we're going to do that, we need to also provide opportunities for collaboration with physiotherapists. I mean, there's just so many different type of approaches that, that you can take, you know, again, including working with bio, people in biomechanics to try and figure out, okay, then how do we potentially optimize movement and what are the, the movement challenges? Um, and I think... The more we can break out of our silos that are traditionally have been in research and, and in academia, I think, honestly, the more the, the value is to that. And I've learned, I know personally a lot by working with different people across different disciplines. You don't always necessarily agree on everything, especially working at a mental health hospital, which again, the dominant approach is often medication and behavioral therapy. But again, that to me has been those discussions that in involvement and trying out different things has been 
a very valuable uh, way forward. And I think even in the field of physical activity, you know, we have kind of the biophysical sciences, the social sciences, and the psychology, and no one's really, really talking to each other. And so to me, it's, it's really interesting why they're not talking to each other when we know the body is so dynamic. And again, the more we can work together, I think, uh, provides us with new and innovative ways to increase activity, because that's our goal for everyone at the end of the day. And so I think if we can move toward that model, uh, that might be effective. Mm. So more discussion between different different professionals and sharing sharing information. So so we have now discussed many many interesting topics. Is there something you would like to add to these these topics? Uh, I think just again, and especially in the time of this pandemic, um, this, you know, I listened to the talk from Dominic Malcolm uh, on the podcast a few weeks ago, and to think about the different impacts physical uh, physical activity can have, right? So I've been really advocating for how benefit beneficial it is, but also for us to step back and to think about what are the consequences, right? Um, you know, physical activity can be good for us, but also are there any bad sides to it? And I think again. Our job in, in research and as potential educators and budding scientists, the, the, the important thing is to be able to almost turn the light off when we need it. So if we always look for a certain answer, we'll always find it. If we always think about activity always being good, we'll always say it that way. But sometimes to step back and think about what we're doing, why we're doing it, and how we're doing it, to me, has been kind of, again, from my own research, my own personal kind of development, Uh, a very helpful way to think about what we do and why we do it in our field. And one of the things that I never thought I would get into um, during this kind of pandemic was looking at different ways of teaching and coaching. And so I came across um, Yosuke Washia's work in Japan about thin description, where he talks about, you know, in physical activity, we have this over-reliance on using words and an over-reliance on teaching movement by showing and His argument was, you know, we actually have to take some of that back and teach body awareness and movement awareness and being present with our bodies through a Zen philosophy um, in order to get people more active. And again, I had no idea that this body of work existed until I came across it this during the pandemic. And so the more I think we can challenge our own assumptions and, and thinking about, you know, what is physical activity? Why do we do it? Why are we promoting it? And also thinking about how we um, do this sort of work, then I think we have a potential step forward to, to generally improve um, people's participation levels. Mm, yeah, I I agree. Yeah, it it has been really interesting and informative discussions. So I would like to thank you for sharing your your knowledge and taking the time for this podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Ali. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you're using. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.